Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. This time of year is very important to us for many different reasons. Like, you know, Pentecost, when you think about Pentecost, we go all the way back to the Old Testament and remember when God let all, the, all his people out of Egypt how he delivered to them the Ten Commandments in a codified form that we call it covenant. And later on, during Jesus Christ's time when he died, on the first New Testament Pentecost, God gave us the Holy Spirit. So, brethren, if you go to the book of Exodus, just to recollect what happened during that time, during the, the first magnificent Pentecost feast, in, in Exodus chapter 19, in verse 3, it's a wonderful promise here. In verse 3 it says, And Moses went up to God, and they all called to him from the mountain, saying, That you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on the eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. And now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasures to me above all the people. For all the earth is mine, but you be a special people. Everything is mine, but you will serve to me for a special purpose. And verse 23, if you do this thing, now in verse 6, you shall be kingdom of priests and holy nations, these are the words we shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came, so Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words to the people, words, words, words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear what I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. And then a wonderful miracle happened. It happens only once in history. And you try to picture yourself that you're standing close to this holy mountain. And at one moment, all this miraculous thing, God will speak to his own people in an audible form, in a voice, and he will deliver to them ten commandments. One after another, after another, after another. How would you react to such a wonderful scene? How would you react? How would you be, how would you, how do you react to that? Because we know from the Old Testament, we know what happened later. If you go to Exodus chapter 20, when God spoke all the Ten Commandments, people, instead of rejoicing that they heard the voice of God, they were afraid of God. In verse, if chapter, Exodus chapter 20, in verse 18, it says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Why they were afraid? After experiencing all these miracles in Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, all this provision that God did for them, they just stood close to the mountain, 
And God was so excited to say, I will speak to my children. And they say, don't speak to us. Speak to Moses. We'll listen from Moses, but not from you. So you know, from this moment, what's going to happen later on, right? See, later on, when they refused to hear God's voice, later on, when Moses just disappeared for a period of 40 days, and if you go to Exodus chapter 32, it's such a horrible description here. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods, they shall go before us. For us this Moses, for us this Moses, right? We'll listen to Moses, but for us this Moses, okay? The man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we, don't know, we do not know what has become of him. And if you skip over, and we know, we know the story, right? It's just a reminder. But if you skip over to chapter to verse 38, and you see what people did at that day. <clears throat> 32, let's go, actually, verse 19. So it was as soon as he came near the camp, as Moses was coming down the mountains with the Ten Commandments with his hand, as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf with, with which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did, what did these people do to you that you have brought so great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Oh, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people. They are set on evil. For as they said to, for us, they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. For, for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do, not, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to, them, to me, and I cast it into the fire. And this, and this calf came out. Just, you know, we put all this gold together, and we just melted it, and just look. Oh, oh it's a miracle. This calf came. That's our new God. That's what everyone was trying to say. And verse 25, Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, what they were doing? They were unrestrained. For Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord of God of Israel, Let everyone put his sword on his side and go in, and up from entrance to the entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man, has, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the son of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And look what happened next. And about 3,000 men of people fell that day. That's the history of the first Pentecost. That's what happened when people refused to hear God's voice. They accept the codified form of the law of God. But they just refused to hear God's voice. So brethren, many people studied this work. Many people studied this Bible. And as we know today, there are many different interpretations. There are many different religions. And people justify themselves to many different ways. But to understand God and his holy character, 
We need more than his law. We need more than this written book. To truly understand what is in this book, how to interpret this thing, we have to have God's Holy Spirit. We have to have a part of God in our heart to truly apply, to truly know what God is all about, so we can truly read and understand what our Father is all about. If you don't have missing ingredients, this missing piece, His Holy Spirit, we can just become intellectuals, like all the other people. We can make something out of this book. Yes, it can change our life. We can become better people. But we'll never be really truly connected to our Father. Brethren, if you go to Deuteronomy, because all this thing that happened there, I believe it was designed from the beginning by God that these people would never accept God's Holy Spirit back at that time. Deuteronomy chapter 29. So we all know how God became angry, how the first generation that actually experienced hearing the voice of God at the foot of mountain. This generation just passed away in the wilderness for over 40 years. The next generation, the younger ones, who were at that time, let's say, between 15 and 20, they still remember all these miracles that happened in Egypt, all these miracles that happened at the Mount of Sinai. Now, they're going to cross the Promised Land. And Deuteronomy chapter 29 God says to them in verse 1, it says, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab. So now they are in the land of Moab. He says, Besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. That was at the Sinai 40 40 years earlier. Verse 2, Now Moses called the Israel and said to them, "You You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. And listen to the verse 4. Yet, you are experiencing all this thing. You, you saw all this thing, but yet, the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. So you see, God has a wonderful purpose, a wonderful plan for us. Not just for them, but for us. And waiting to accomplish it. Thousands of years, thousands of years later. But brethren, just shift over to the New Testament, Pentecost. We go to Acts chapter 2. Remember back then, 3,000 people died because of rebellion towards God. Now go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And we all know the scriptures very well. Chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared, then, then there appeared to them divided tongues of the fire, as one said upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's almost the same experience, okay? This fire, there is mighty wind. There is a noise, except this time, Jesus' disciples, with others, are not afraid. They're not afraid. They're ready. They're waiting for God's Holy Spirit to be filled up. And if you skip down to verse 38, when Peter gave his wonderful sermon here, then verse 38, then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive this wonderful gift. Then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And in verse 39, for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. It's not for everyone. As many as the Lord will call. So we can conclude during the first Pentecost time in the Old Testament, there were not many people that were called at that time. In the New Testament Pentecost, there were many people, much more people, many more, many more people who were actually called. But keep reading. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generations. Then those who gladly received his words and were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. You see the difference? The first Pentecost, 3,000 souls died for disobedience. The New Testament is a new start. 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom of God. So brethren, what Peter is saying here, God is just more than willing to give us his Holy Spirit if we repent according to his law, and if you are predestined according to God's calling, if you are his children, God absolutely wants to share his Holy Spirit with every single one of you. So you see, we can conclude that if we don't have this Holy Spirit in us, it's so easy to misabuse and abuse God's Holy Word. Would you agree? And we, have, we, have the, we see the fruits today, what's happening in society. There are so many different interpretations of this word. And you know, throughout the Bible, God has a very strong warning for everyone. If we misinterpret His character, because His law, His word, is all about God, it's all about God's character, everything is about Him. If you get one piece wrong, we misinterpret God in a way, in a sense. Right? So you see, we have to be very careful how we read it, how we interpret it, and how we share with others, and how we teach others. And brethren, if you go to Deuteronomy, how serious is the warning? I can show you Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 in verse 1. God says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go, in, and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your Father is giving you. Verse 2, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. There is no adding and no subtracting. God's word from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. It's His word, and it's not to us to decide what's good and what's not good. What is done, what is not away. What is done away, some people say it. It's up to God, and only God gives us the interpretation. If you move on to, to, verse, to verse 6, God's go, God, God goes even farther. He says, Therefore, be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of, of the people who will hear all the statutes and say, Surely, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it, to it as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him. And in verse 8, 
And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgment as are in, in, in all this law, which I said before you this day? And verse 9 is another warning. Only take heed to yourself, and diligently keep yourself. If you forget the things your eyes have seen, at least they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren. And as today I was talking to the young, young, young people today, during the youth Bible study, we see, we were talking about Samuel, how, to, how great prophet and how great judge he was. And he's one of the few individuals in the, in the Bible, there is actually nothing negative said about this prophet, about this judge, except his children will totally corrupt. And my speculation is that Samuel is such a dedicated man to God, that he was traveling to Israel, trying to teach his, his people the law and status of God, that he totally neglected his family. He was so busy doing the work of God that he, in the end, neglected his family. And sometimes in God's church, there are some ministers who are actually doing the same thing. They are so excited about the word of God, about the spreading the good news, to travel from one place to the other place. They forgot that the first responsibility is to be at home with their, with their children, with their wives, and then comes church. So just, just, just on the side. But brethren, Deuteronomy chapter 6, talking about, speaking about teaching our children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. That's the prayer. Every single Jew pray every time, every day, three times a day. Hear of Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. And it is very interesting in the Hebrew language. Here is a Hebrew word. It's going to have two meanings. In Hebrew word, the same word has two meanings. Here is the same word, the same word obey. So he's saying here it means also obey. And in our language there are two different distinct words, but in Hebrew language the same word has two meanings. So you have to listen to the speaker, what he's trying to say, what he's trying to convey, because here it means hear and obey what I'm telling you. So here obey. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, with all your strength. And this word which I command you today shall be in your heart. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk, by the way, when you lay down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, as they shall be a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's the point here? Doesn't matter what we do through the day, doesn't matter what date of week it is, every chance, every, every opportunity, possibility we have to, when we speak to our children, we should always bring it down and relate to God. Because if we don't do that, we all know through the Bible, if you go to the history of kings, there is one good king, and we know what happened with one good king and his children. They are totally corrupt for a few generations, then occasionally we'll have another king. And we repeat the cycle over and over and over again. We always have excuses that, you know, we work too long, you know, we have other responsibilities, that our first job is to educate our children in the Word of God. And we at this church, this little congregation Burlington, we are so blessed that I would say almost half of our congregation, young children. And you're very we are very happy and blessed to have you, okay, young people with us. And we tried our best, at least in the half an hour, to do our best to make you part of our church. When you come here, we don't want you to feel that that's our church, that's the adult's church, that's your mom or your dad's church. I want you to feel that that's your church too. 
and we try to get you involved as much as we can in the church service and prayers and everything along the way. In a few weeks, we'll have a youth day. So wonderful things will happen, and hopefully you will appreciate. If you have any comments, any suggestions, please come and speak. Come and speak. If you don't want to speak, you can send an email. There's so many different ways that you can do that. So, brethren, what I want you to do, we know the warnings, we know what happened during the past Pentecost, in the Old Testament, during the Pentecost, in the New Testament. But I want to talk to today about the law of God, how important it is, and how dangerously it is when we, when, when we misapply, misinterpret, and abuse God's word. So, just to start, how universal is God's law? Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. And just establish something from the beginning. Genesis, Gen, Genesis chapter 12. When God was speaking to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. There is a wonderful blessing. God's blessing. In verse 2. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. God says to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who blessed you. And I will curse him who curses you. And this is very important. He says, And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, from the beginning of his book, from the Bible, from the history of mankind, he says, I have a plan for the entire human race. It's not, for the, not just for the children of Israel. It's for the entire race, all human beings. And you know, if you go to Numbers, chapter 15, God was speaking to the children of Israel. But this time we're supposed to understand God's law. In Numbers 5, chapter 15, he makes clear to them, in verse 15, Numbers, Numbers 15 in verse 15, he says to them, one ordinance, actually, let's start from verse 13. He says, all who are native born shall do these things in this manner, in presenting an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Okay? Native born. Look at the next verse. If a stranger, if a stranger dwells with you, or whoever is among you throughout your generation, and would present an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so shall he do. There is no restriction. If the stranger comes into this knowledge of God, and he... And he and he accepts the God of Israel into his heart. God says, you shall not make any distinction between you and all the people, as long as they're willing to worship me according to my law. Verse 15, he says, One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly, and for the strangers who dwell with you, an ordinance forever throughout your generations, as you are, so shall be strangers be before the Lord. Verse 16, one law, one custom shall be for you and for the strangers who dwells with you. You see, from the beginning, God's heart, he wanted to accept the Gentile nation. But the, but the Israelites, they got the message, obviously in a wrong way. They thought that, you know, salvation is just for them. And they were so holy, they were so righteous. They were chosen through Abraham that they don't have to do anything as long as they're pure genetically. That's how they read the God's law. So you see, brethren, if you go to Judges, we know the story of Judges recovering the young people. We remember the story of Judges, how terrible it was. The nations fall apart. 
just a few generations later, they don't know who they are anymore. They don't know what God's law is, how to apply it in their lives. They have no clue. Judges 21. Judges 21, verse 25. Simple summary at the last part of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's what happened. We don't teach our young children what the God is all about. So, brethren, if we move just forward a few hundred years, now Israel has a king, number of kings. You see, God did not allow David to build a sanctuary. He says, you have too much blood on your hands. The way you live your life, you kill so many people. I just cannot allow you to build a sanctuary for a holy God. But he promised, he says, your son, your son Solomon, I'll give him peace, I'll do everything for him, and he will accomplish everything that you want in your heart. So he, he gave to David all the plans of the sanctuary. And David gathered all the resources to build the sanctuary. Brethren, if you move to First King, First King and verse 8. First King and verse 8. First King, chapter 8, please excuse me. First King, chapter 8, and verse 1. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, that's at the time of consecration of the temple, and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they may bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is in Zion. Verse 2. Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of seven, which is the seventh month, that was the feast of Tabernacle, in the seventh holy month. In skip down, we don't have time to go through the whole Solomon prayer through this chapter, but verse 27. When Solomon prays to God, he says in verse 27, But will God indeed, indeed dwell on the earth? So he, he has an understanding that God is you know, too big for our imagination just to make him a sanctuary. Behold, heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. In verse 28, you regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be, eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. That was the idea. The people would come. They would feel free to offer prayers and supplications to God. To bring them closer to God. And, and if you skip over to 41, verse 40, 41. It says, moreover, concerning God. Ah, that is very interesting, brother. I want you to pay very close attention. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays towards this temple. And verse 43, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls, calls to you. That all people of the earth might know your name and fear you as, as do your people Israel. And that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Did you get it? Outsider can come to the Israelites' temple and worship God without any restrictions. 
Why am I telling you this thing? You come to Jesus' time, you will see it. The Gentiles, women, children were not allowed to come. There were special courts made in the second temple to separate all the people to come to God. The Israelites, men, they were direct access to God. Their women, a little bit behind. They were second class of citizens. Then there were Gentiles standing way back. They couldn't see anything what was happening in front. And they were after were the children and everybody else. But in the first temple when Samuel was dedicated, we don't see any separation that God ever intended to bring to his people, brethren. And verse 58, just to make this matter clear, in verse 58, Solomon prays here, he says, that he may incline your hearts to himself, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his judgment, which he command our fathers, and may, and may these words of mine, which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may, that he may maintain the cause of the servant, and the cause of his people Israel, as each day may require. And verse 60, that all the people of the earth might know that the Lord God, there is no other, that your heart turn to be loyal to the Lord of God, to walk in his statute, to keep his commandments as to this day. Brethren, our God is a wonderful God. He loves everyone. And God's intention from the book of Genesis to the Revelation is to include every single nation in his kingdom. So as we move over, as you can see, as we move over through from the beginning to the book of Judges, we can see how people fall behind farther from God and farther from God. They go away from God's law. They have their own interpretations. They have their own customs, their own traditions. And they all try to justify that they're doing a God's you know, favor. If you move over to Isaiah, Isaiah 29. It's a famous scripture here that Jesus quoted in the New Testament. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 29. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. It says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as this people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the commandments of men. That's how we could describe this period when Isaiah was writing. And if you go over to Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58, and verse 2, Yet they seek me daily, they delight to know my ways. As a nation, they did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice, they take delight in approaching God. And at the same time they say, Why have you fasted? They say, and you have not answered. Why have you afflicted our souls? And you take no notice. They were saying that they were so righteous. They were keeping all these commandments, you know, trying to justify their ways in a wrong motives, in a wrong attitude. And God says, In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. And you exploit all your laborers. 
Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. Will not fast as you do this day. And God's on, on and on and on. That's how, that's how everything was so corrupted back, back at the days. If you go to Amos, Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5 in verse 1. God was so sick with his people, he says, in verse 21, he says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fattened peace offering. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. Verse 24. But let justice run down like waters, and righteousness like a mighty stream. Rather, we can keep Sabbath, we can keep holidays, okay? We might think that we are so righteous because we're keeping all this time, we're keeping all these little things. But if our heart, if our attitude is not in the right place, you know, we may be doing the same thing what the people did back then, thousands of years ago. We think that we're righteous, but God says, you know what? I hate your sacred assembly. I hate that you sing to me. I hate that you, hate, uh, that you pray for me, to me. If you have a wrong heart, a wrong attitude toward God. hundred years later from this time from Amos, if we go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 5. Verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Run to and fro to the street of Jerusalem. See now and know. And seek in her open places. And look at this thing. If you can find a man, if you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. God is saying to Jeremiah, You run through the streets. If you just find one man, one righteous man throughout all the city of Jerusalem. It's just when one man, he says, I will pardon the entire city. We know it wasn't the case because Jerusalem was destroyed. We can, we can conclude there was not even one righteous man back then who would obey God's law. And verse 3, O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have re refused to return. Therefore I said, surely, these are poor. They are foolish. For they do not know the way of the Lord. Okay, they are just a simple people. Okay, so they do know the word of the Lord. But let's ask the noble people. Okay. The judgment of their God. Verse 5. I will go to the great men and speak to them. For they have known the way of the Lord. The judgment of their God. But we know. That even the educated, the lead men, the priests... They were even more corrupt than an average guy living on the street. So that was the time that people used to live back then, that people used to live. And how they misjudge, how they totally disregard God's law. And how God had pronounced judgment and judgment and judgment over his people. Brethren, if we move over to the last prophet of the Old Testament, we go to Malachi. Malachi chapter 2. And now, priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, 
He will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord host of hosts. And if you skip down to verse 7, it says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But verse 8, that's what they're supposed to do. That's what they're supposed to teach. Verse 8, But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, say the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and based before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but I have shown partiality in the law. Brethren, God is warning God. It's very clear that we try to apply God's law in a partial way. There's a great warning in the Bible what's going to happen to us. And God is creator of all of us. He doesn't segregate people in different groups. He calls people at different times. God's law, God's heart, and God's love for us is all the same. Just as it used to be, and just as it is right now. So now we move, we transfer to the New Testament. And we see how Jesus fought with the Jews over and over again. They thought that they were chosen one based on genetic. He says, oh, we are the children of Abraham. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I don't care about your genetic. If you don't obey God's law, you're useless to me anyway. That's what Jesus was trying to tell them over and over and over. And you see in Jesus' ministry, at that time, Jesus shows impartiality to all kinds of people. Greeks, Roman soldiers, Ethiopians, Samaritans. If you go closer to the New Testament, if you pay attention to the little things, you can see it. You know, there was a big debate. If you go to Matthew, verse 15, talking about the traditions of men. Matthew 15. Then scribe, Matthew 15, verse, verse, chapter 15, verse 1. The scribe and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, simple thing, okay? Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread? On surfers, they might just look like, why they just don't wash their hands? We won't want, you know, everybody who's serving food to wash your hands. But these things go deeper than just washing their hands. When the Jewish people are walking across the street, especially Jewish rabbis, okay, they'll never walk with their wife. Their wife will follow behind. They'll never greet anybody in the street. People had to greet them. They'll never go and say, hello, mister, or hello, missus. They'll never extend their hands. They'll never greet anybody. The wealthy Jews, if they, have, if, if they have slaves, if they go to the marketplace, if they had to, if they had to operate in Roman currencies, right? Because the shackle was only the temple currencies. Outside the temple was the Roman currency. They wouldn't even touch the Roman currency. They would ask the slave to touch the money because they were afraid of contamination, okay? They wouldn't touch the money. They asked the slave to handle the Roman's money. They only would touch the temple shackle. So, by the they will, never teach, they will never touch anybody just walking through the street, okay? But when they get back home, 
just to make sure it just by accident they just come close and touch elbow of some other person, right? Ritually, they wash their hands to the elbows, so all this impurity, God forbid, that they touch any Gentile. That's what, that's what it's all about, right? So the issues here is not just about washing hands before the meal. No, no, it's go deeper than that. Just what about other people? So we know from the story that Jesus tells them in verse 10, he explained to them, he says, when he called the multiple to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. And Jesus is clear, he says, it's not, it's not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. Then his disciple came and, and, and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? Of course they were offended. They were always offended what Jesus was saying. But he answered and said, Every plant which my, which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. There are blind leaders of the blind. If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, I don't get it, Lord. Just, you know, I don't get it either. Explain this parable to me. Jesus had to come down to Peter's level. So Jesus says, are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? It's not about food, okay, we're talking here. It's not about eating with unclean hands. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and then defile a man. And Jesus says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, fornications, false witnesses, theft, and so on and so on. That's the real issues here. It's not about washing hands because you have dirty hands, okay? Even if you serve for the dirty hands, okay, you may, bet, you, may, you may get somebody sick. But that's it. That's the only thing. But you have to watch your heart. You should, your heart should be acceptable to everybody. As a Christ disciple, you love everybody just, just as his father loved us. So that's the whole story here, brethren. Go to the book of Acts. It's a wonder, you can see the progress, how the disciple had a hard time to understand that, you know, this gospel, this news, this Holy Spirit, is not just for the, it's not just for the Jews, it's actually for everyone. You know, we go to Acts chapter 10. And we know, we all know the story. We all read them, we all understand them, we all know the story. But now, I'll give you another angle to it. When you read them again, you will see them probably maybe in a different perspective. In Acts chapter 10, at the verse 11. 10 verse 11. You know, we know the story that Peter saw the vision, right? You all remember that. The verse 11 says, And Peter saw, have it open, and the object like a great sheet, bound on the four corners, descending to him, and, and led down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild bees, creeping things, and birds of the air. And the voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. And this was done three times. And Peter couldn't get it. What was the message all about? Three times, okay? He just knew it that it's not just about eating clean and unclean meats. It's something more than that. But Peter just couldn't understand what God was trying to do here. But if you, if you skip over to verse 24, and the following day, they enter Caesarea, and now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. So we're talking about the Gentile people. And Peter was coming, and Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lift, lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And verse 20, 28, listen to this. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one 
of another nation. Wait a minute. Where is the such a command in the Bible? Can you find such a command in the Bible that it's actually forbidden for a Jewish man to enter the Gentile man's home? Is there, anything, is, is there any commandment like that? There is not. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And if you go to verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted, is accepted by him. And now if you go to verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell, up, fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of their circumcision who believed were astonished. You see, all these Jewish people who were circumcised, they were astonished that the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles. Why they were astonished? What they were thinking? That they're only the special ones? God only deals with the Jewish people? See, as men as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentile also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified, and magnified God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that they should not be baptized who have received Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. And brethren, you notice it, there is a reversal of things. Before they repented, God sent them Holy Spirit before they actually repented. You notice that? And I think that's a miracle to God to show all these Jewish people that God can do whatever He wants to do. And He poured out His Holy Spirit on these people. I'm not saying that they didn't know what the God's law was. They were, very, they were probably God-fearing people. They knew exactly what the law of God was. But God sent the Holy Spirit ahead of them so they could shock the Jewish people like, just to accept them. This is not just for you. Just move on, guys. Just, you know, live your life. Move on. God wants everybody in his kingdom. And we so hard to get it. And you know, we, would, we would conclude from this few passages here that Peter, that Peter got the message, right? That's what Peter stated here. But if you go to Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, we would say that Peter now, you know, he's very well understand. He saw all these miracles. He, he knows what God can do. But in Galatians chapter 2, in verse 11, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Why? Because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would, with the, and he would eat with the Gentiles. Oh, Peter, he knew it. He was, oh, okay, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, the Jewish people came, he, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that, they were not straightforward of the, about the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentile and not as the Jew, why do you compel Gentile to live as the Jews? Brethren, what is so wonderful about this passage, what I love the, you know, the New Testament stories here, you know, I came to church, and you know, you probably are no witnesses, right, that if something happens in the church, everybody tries to cover it. He says, oh, just, you know, just be quiet. Don't say to anybody. Just go to the court and we'll deal with the issues, right? Just look what Paul is doing. In front of everybody, he's confronting Peter. He says, you know what? What's wrong, it's wrong. In front of the entire group, he says, that's not the way that we're supposed to act. That was a wonderful lesson. I think that Peter at that time, 
I think he finally got the message that Gentile and Jews are on the same level. And we shouldn't treat them differently because we are only the one holy ones. If you go to Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, and beautiful writing of Paul. Galatians 3, 26. He says, For you are all sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So to become an Abraham child, you don't have to have gene- genealogical connections to him through the blood. You have to have a Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit connections, keeping and accepting God's law. Brethren, if you go to the book of Acts, there's a, go back to the book of Acts. There's another wonderful story there. It happened to Paul when he was arrested. In verse, Acts to chapter 21. And in verse 26. So Paul goes back to Jerusalem. Now he's arrested. But before he gets arrested, in verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled his holy place. Where is it in the Bible? The people are not allowed to bring Gentiles into the temple. Where is it in the Bible? You see what happened? They go mad. They go crazy. They, Paul, he brought the Gentiles to the temple. Defiled the temple. No. You defiled the temple a long time ago. That's what it is. But brethren, if you go a little bit farther down, in verse 35. So now they got Paul. They grab Paul. He's in trouble. In verse 35. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people follow after, crying out, Away with him! Then as Paul was about to be led, led into, the, into the barracks, and he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied. He replied, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptians who some time ago stirred up the rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul says, No, I am a Jew from, from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people, okay? So he's, this commander is surprised that he can speak Greek and he can speak Hebrew, right? So he had given him permission. Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when, when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, and I want you to pay attention. I'm going to go along the speech, what, we, what, what, what was he saying here, as we're going to move on, as we're going to explain the story. And then he says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And it goes on. And when they heard that he spoke to them in Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, or in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, Gamalieli, taught according to the strictness of, the, of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you are 
as you are, as all you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, building and delivering into prison both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. And now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. They're all listening quietly. They're all listening patiently. And in verse 7 it says, I fell to the ground and hear a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saying, answer, who are you, Lord? And he says to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to them. And you know, you, you notice the people who are listening, all the mob, they were so angry. He mentioned Jesus, and they're okay with that. And they're, you know, they're still listening. They're still intentionally listening. And you know, just to cut, cut to the chase here, and he's still giving his speech. And you know, in verse 18 he says, I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning him. They're still listening. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyred Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes, to, of, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then he said to me, and listen to this, there will be, in his speech, he's going to transfer, move a little from one place to the other. And you see the, we'll see the emotions of the crowd. And then he said to me, depart. For I will send you far from here where I will send you. To the Gentile. Look what happened. Once he just mentioned, I will send you to the Gentile. Look what happened. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, I will with such fellow from, from this earth. For he is not fit to live. Why they were so upset? He was telling this story about Jesus, about everything, about the nation's story. What he did, how he did, how he was trained. They were all quiet and listened. Why he mentioned, God sent me to the Gentiles. That said, they don't want to listen to him anymore. We... I want to be blessed. Gentiles gentle are supposed to be my servants. They're supposed to be my slaves. Where did they get all this message? Where did they get everything from? You see, brethren, I strongly believe if you go to Ephesians, Ephesians, go to the letter of Ephesians, what Paul was saying. There's one verse in Ephesians. I, I think I know what it means. You know, you can come later to me and see if you agree with me or not. Or you, have, you might have a different interpretation. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. Look how Paul is describing here. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. What's the middle wall of separation? Broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments, containing ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, from Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And I think when Paul mentioned here the middle wall of separation, I think that, God, that Paul was referring to the temple that was standing in Jerusalem, the wall that was separating the Jews from the Gentiles and the Jews from the women. 
And Paul is saying, Jesus Christ came and he destroys this wall. And this wall is not even supposed to be there. And you know, and he says, now to Jesus Christ, every single one has access to the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter what nation, what language. So brethren, God's intention for all of us, it is so clear when you really pay attention to what the Bible says from the beginning. If you go to Isaiah 56, how this prophet, beautiful, you know, described the relationship with all of, to all of us should have with God. Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56. It says in verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Verse 3. Do not, do not let the son of the foreigner, oh, do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has actually separated me from his people. Really? Skip down to verse 6. Also the son of foreigner who joined themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servant. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offering and their sacrifice will be upon my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. See, even Isaiah wrote a long time ago, what was God's intentions for all the people? And guess what? They always have problem. They understood God's word. And they have a problem because they didn't have the Holy Spirit as we do. So brethren, it's such a joy today on the eve of this Pentecost weekend. As I look at you here coming from different ages, different experience. You know, some of, the, some of us are very young. Young children, some of them very mature. Some of you coming from a worldwide church of God, having a decades experience. Like you know, I would I would say, uh, Brother Rogiano, how long you've been in a church? Forty, forty-five years. Brother Gore, you probably the same way, right? How long you've been in a church? Forty-five. Not quite. Thirty something. And you know, what a mix of people in this congregation. What a beautiful feeling when we see each Sabbath service. Everybody comes, united in spirit, in one accord, ready to worship God. People excited about the Word of God. People excited about what is said, what is preached. How are we going to handle issues? How are we going to handle stuff? Brethren, I think God will have a great future for us here. So to conclude my message, we all know that in the kingdom of God, we're going to be priests and kings. We all know that. But to be a priest and kings, you have to pay attention to how we're going to handle our duties. If you go to Hosea, chapter 6, Hosea chapter 4, if, not, if you don't do what we're supposed to do, then we're going to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. 
Why are we having trouble in this society of our children? Why do we have a trouble? Because as parents, as grandparents, we forgot to teach our children the law of God. And now we're reaping the consequences. If you want to be a king, there's a wonderful passage in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17. If you really want to be a king in God's kingdom, if you treat your calling seriously, that I would suggest something. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Look what God asked the kings of Israel, what they were supposed to do. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 18. God tells the king, Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. See how important it is? Not somebody writes for you. You get a pen and a paper and you copy the law of God just by yourself. Okay? So you know exactly what's in the law in the presence of the Levites or the priests. And in verse 19 it says, And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all these words of this law and these statutes. And verse 20, that his heart may not be filled above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Is there a message for us here? We are supposed to be the future king. We are at least on the path to become a future king. Are we really paying attention to the Word of God? Do we really commit our times and effort to really study and understand what is God is saying to us? So we make sure that we don't go to the left or we don't go to the right? And brethren, my last closing scripture for today, then the young brethren, Andrew, read to us today is the scriptures that always give me a lot of comfort. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And brethren, I want you just to meditate on this one word, one verse. If God predestined you a long time ago, if God predestined you to be his king or his priest, I hope that we realize what a wonderful calling it is. And also, a great responsibility. Don't treat it too light, brethren. And as we move into this evening, before we go to church tomorrow to celebrate this Pentecost weekend, just want you to remember everything that happened in the past, what God did with his children, become disobedient. Brethren, I love you so much. May God be with you and enjoy the Holy Weekend. Thank you so much. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, 
visit our website at cgiburlington.org.